You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you're a 415er, you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back into another edition of the 415ers podcast, Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game, three times a week. Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings with you as always. Mark, my man, how are we feeling? I'm feeling well, Evan, getting fired up for a NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Should be a lot of fun. It kicks off with Niners Seahawks on Saturday at Levi Stadium, 1.30. Really looking forward to that. Then a whole uh, a full week of uh, NFL postseason football. Should be a lot of fun. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am ready. We're recording this Thursday night, getting ready to drop it on Friday morning. Your preview pod, as always, before every game. And at least we don't have to wait a couple of days before this game gets underway like usual. But, Mark, we were talking about this. The fact that the Niners have the first game of the weekend, it can either be a great thing or a horrible thing. Because, obviously, the Niners, as those of you watching on YouTube, those of you listening, are nine-and-a-half-point favorites They're expected to beat the Seattle Seahawks pretty handedly at home as the two seed in the NFC. But of course, if the worst happens, we'll discuss maybe how that can possibly happen. There's not a whole lot of avenues that I foresee. But if it does, you're then stuck watching football for the rest of the weekend, wondering how the hell you lost. Whereas if you win, which is the expected most likely outcome at this point for the 49ers, you're watching football saying, ah, let me kick my feet back up, throw up and uh, crack a cold one and watch the rest of these games. Yeah, I, I think if you lose this game and you're a 49er fan, um, you might not be ready to watch more football after that. <laughs> so you might just take the rest of the weekend off. Maybe you feel better Sunday evening. You watch the Sunday night game. Maybe you feel better Monday night. But I'm not sure you can go back to football Saturday if your team loses the first game of Saturday. So there's a lot a uh, lot riding on this game, of course, for 49er fans, but obviously for the players as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you could see Niners nine and a half point favorites. So they are expected to win this game as they should be, considering how talented they are and considering this is a Seahawks team that has not played great of late, but they did win in in their final week to get into the postseason, got some help from the Lions beating the Packers. But this is a game the Niners should win. Evan, we'll dive into all of it. Um, But yeah, this is a game that they should win. And if they don't, uh, we're going to be talking and remembering this one for a long time because this would be bad. Yeah, I I think so. I think we're on the same page there. But let's just kind of sit, let people know how we got to this point. Seattle, obviously, is the third time that Seattle and San Francisco are playing each other. First game was week two at Levi's Stadium. The Niners absolutely waxed the Seattle Seahawks 27-7. Of course, that's the game in the first quarter in which the 49ers lose their first starting quarterback of the season in Trey Lance, but they win 27-7. Seattle does not score a single offensive touchdown that day. And then fast forward to week 15, after the Niners go through another starting quarterback, they end up with Brock Purdy, who makes his first road appearance in the NFL. San Francisco wins that matchup 21-13. to At that point, they clinched the NFC West with that win. Brock Purdy threw for two touchdowns, despite also having a bit of an oblique injury that day. And it also marked the first season sweep for the San Francisco 49ers over their division rival since 2011. So it does feel like the Niners have all the momentum on their side, and understandably so. But Mark, you know what? What's your first impression of this matchup? Because obviously, a lot of people are expecting the 49ers to take care of business, but the Seahawks are playing with nothing to lose at this point. And despite Pete Carroll maybe sugarcoating and throwing some softballs, trying to soften up the the 49ers and their fan base earlier this week, it does. I I believe that it does set up for a scenario where Seattle can throw the kitchen sink at San Francisco and not have to worry about anything because they weren't expected to be here in the first place. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly how this sets up. And I'm glad you brought up Pete Carroll because we also teased it a little bit in our last episode. I do have a couple of pieces of sound from Pete Carroll earlier this week. I want to get to him here. This was his first uh, media availability of the week after the Sunday night game when the Lions beat the Packers. And he was talking about how, you know, it was great to be 
Great to be a Lions fan. They got the job done, but guess what? Now we have a big challenge ahead of us. Here's here's Pete Carroll. So sunk into the, the being Lions fans, man. We love the Lions. Uh, Coach Campbell did a great job with his crew, and they played a fantastic yeah, football game to, to get the win, to give us the chance. So we're going to try to do something with it. Unfortunately, we're playing the Niners, and they're loaded, and they're loaded and healthy and on a roll and about as hot as you could possibly get. And uh, mm-hmm. doing it in a really commanding fashion, too, you know, with the young quarterback who's doing so well, just kind of would buck the odds, you know, that everybody would think you could do that, and uh, everybody in the media anyway. Um, um, we'll see how we how we you know, get our guys back for this weekend. It's coming up quick with a Saturday ball game, and, and uh, uh, we've already started our week, and we're underway. So Pete Carroll there, <laughs> unfortunately, you have the Niners now. I can't even... I can't even accurately do his little half chuckle as he said that. I mean, he is setting this up uh, like like you said. He's setting it up like they have no chance. But you know, 100%, there's no doubt that behind closed doors in that locker room, he is firing up his team. He is convincing them that this Niner team, which he called the juggernaut also this week, is beatable. I mean, that's what Pete Carroll does. He's he's playing mind games with the opponent through the media. He's telling his team completely different things. Now, obviously, they, they do respect the Niners, and they know the Niners are a really good team, but they're not going into this game thinking, uh-oh, I, they've already beaten us twice. We don't have a chance in this game. They thoroughly believe they can beat this Niner team. Now, we'll see what happens, but Pete Carroll is indeed playing those mind games. So, for me, that's the first thing. That pops into my head, it's the 49ers do not take this Seattle team lightly. And I know they're not going to. It's the playoffs. You're up for every big playoff game. Uh, But even if there's just a bit of doubt in the back of your head thinking, all right, you know, we've beaten them twice, not that big of a deal. That's how you lose this game. Do not let Pete Carroll's compliments of you go to your head. He's simply trying to play mind games. Well, the the next thing I want to ask, Mark, because it it may sound – a little weird considering how we set this thing up. But the first question I have about it is which team has overachieved more? Because hmm. if you literally look at the betting market at the beginning of the season, I believe the Niners were nine and a half total as far as their wins over under. They got 13. So they improved their expectation by three and a half wins. Meanwhile, the Seattle Seahawks. I believe, according to the markets that I saw, were five and a half as far as their total. And they have won nine games, also improving their expectation by three and a half wins. So as much as I think the obvious answer is Seattle, because a lot of people wrote them off compared to the 49ers, I do think there is some similarity in how much, you know, if you're just looking at a three and a half win margin, San Francisco going through three quarterbacks, Seattle, at least having the, uh, you know, Pete Carroll there, who has now gone to, gosh, I haven't even counted the amount of playoff um, trips since he's been head coach since 2011, but it seems like he's in the postseason every single every single year. 10 out of 13 which, years. Yeah. 10 out of 13 years. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mark. So, you know, which team do you feel like has overachieved more? I think you're right that if you look at it from the start of the season, it's the Seahawks. Um, But you also have to factor in the fact that the Niners suffered two major injuries to their starting quarterbacks. And that changes the the calculus here. Um, So if you're looking from the start of the season and, you know, you were you were plopped in in September and suddenly you fast forward to today, you know, January 13th, as we as as you're listening to this on Friday, um, you're thinking, all right. Uh, the, the Seahawks overachieved more. But if you've been with this team every step of the way, Evan, if you saw Trey Lance go down, the struggles early that Jimmy Garoppolo had, then you saw Jimmy Garoppolo go down and the Niners turned to their seventh round rookie quarterback, I, I would not be mad at you if you said, well, the Niners have overachieved more considering everything that has happened to them in this season. That's not to say that Seattle hasn't dealt with their own injury. Certainly they have, but not to the extent of the 49ers. In fact, Geno Smith is the only quarterback in the NFL to take 100% of his team snaps this year. Every single offensive snap the Seahawks had this year were taken by Geno Smith. That is not the case for any other team in the NFL, and it's certainly not the case for the San Francisco 49ers, who it was split between three guys. 
in this one. So um, I think it, it depends really how you're looking at it, Evan. If you're looking from start of the season to now, probably Seattle. But if you're 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 taking what happened throughout this 18 week season into account, I think it's the 49ers because they had to overcome uh, more injuries to more key positions uh, throughout the season than Seattle did. Yeah, I, I think there's a fair argument there. I would still probably lean Seattle, and, and the reason being, outside of the quarterback position, the 49ers have had pretty much everyone available to them. And, and a stat I saw earlier tweeted out by Nick Wagner of ESPN, of the 23 projected starters at the beginning of the season for the 49ers, they'll have 21 available on Saturday against the Seahawks. So Emmanuel Mosley and Trey Lance would be the only two that they that they did not. Yeah. When you factor in the starting quarterbacks that had to come after Trey Lance, I do think that we are a bit prisoner of the moment because of how well Brock Purdy has played. And I do think you're right that not expecting that, especially midway through the season, and getting Christian McCaffrey in and getting healthy at the right time has spurred this 10-game win streak, which would, of course, maybe push me towards, well, yeah, I mean, full health with all their complement of pieces, the 49ers should be maybe not a 13-win team, but definitely a double-digit win team and in the playoffs. Whereas Seattle, people were saying that they might not win three games. You know, this team's going to be absolutely yeah. terrible. And the next question off of that, I guess, would be because I saw earlier today that Christian McCaffrey is the betting favorite or one of the betting favorites, depending on where you look, for comeback player of the year. But it seems like the guy on the other side of the field, Geno Smith, has an equal seat at the table considering he's never really been a full-time starting quarterback and this year leads the league in completion percentage through 30 touchdowns and his first season Seattle is the all-time single season passing leader following Russell Wilson. So it, it is interesting although there is a a lopsided amount of talent, I do think there is a discussion to be had as far as the overachievement between both teams and, and individuals. I think your point is right. However, uh, if Geno Smith wins comeback player of the year, uh, I'll be upset. What did he come back from? The bench? Uh, he didn't come back from anything. He came don't, back. Don't get me wrong. He had a great season, but he didn't come back from anything. He came back from riding the pine. Yeah, he came back from irrelevance. Like, he he was Mr. Irrelevant, Mark. Let's be <laughs> honest here. Geno Smith's career was over. And then now all of a sudden he's the quarterback of the future in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, I, I do like that point. And I, I think, it, you know, there's something to be said about how everyone is talking about Brock Purdy and his lack of postseason experience. Geno Smith's never started a, a playoff game either. Like that, that's no. also another side of this. Um, one more thing on Seattle that I think deserves to be said. We've talked a lot about their rookies, Abraham Lucas and, and, and Charlie Cross, their two great offensive linemen that they got in the draft, Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. They're, they're two outstanding corners who have been really good, and that's Kobe, C-O-B-Y, not K-O-B-E. Yes, but, yes, yes, yes. It, is, it is Kobe Bryant. Seattle has played the, the second most offensive and defensive snaps played by rookies this year in the NFL, behind only Houston and ahead of – Chicago, guess what? Those are teams picking first and second in the NFL draft this year. Seattle is right there between them, and they are a playoff team. So I think you you look at what Seattle has done, 9-8 and eight is impressive considering what the expectations were, as you were saying. Um, but it's also impressive who they're doing it with, and they're doing it with an extremely young team. Now, they do have veteran pieces, of course. You're not going to have success at the NFL level with only youth and young guys and, and relatively young players. Uh, but Seattle is having success on a you know relatively large scale with youngsters, as many youngsters as there are in the NFL across any single team. They deserve credit for that. They've, they've done a fantastic job. Yeah, totally. And, and that's why I do think, although I would surely next year, maybe the year after that, feel like San Francisco is in the driver's seat for the division, Watch out for those Seahawks. They got a yep. lot of young talent and a lot of rookie contracts, maybe most importantly to a team's success if you're trying to navigate those financial waters. A um, couple of updates for the 49ers in Seattle as far as health is concerned. Uh, Dre Greenlaw, who injured his back, of course, 
few weeks back. Full participant this week at practice. Also, Aaron Banks, who injured his ankle and knee previously, is now a full participant as of Thursday at practice. So expected to have both of those guys back. And we're talking about you know projected starters and health. On the Seattle side, uh, Shelby Harris, who left last week's game against the Rams, was questionable, as was DJ Dallas. His you know, backup running back punt returner has a quad. They might get their starting safety, Ryan Neal, who came in for uh, Jamal. Oh, pardon me. It, it'll, Jamal I'll Adams. Forget, Jamal Adams. Pardon me. I always forget his name. Uh, Ryan Neal with a knee. He is probably back after missing three games. So it, it appears, Mark, that both teams are going to be about as healthy as you could hope for for this game. Yeah, it's huge news for both, specifically for the 49ers. You mentioned Dre Greenlaw uh, expected back along with Aaron Banks. There are only two players on the 49ers injury report, as Kyle Shanahan spoke on Thursday. Jimmy Garoppolo and Ambry Thomas, they are both out. There's no one questionable. There's no one probable. There's no one doubtful. Garoppolo and Ambry Thomas are out. Uh, No surprises there. Everyone else is available, and not only did Kyle Shanahan say that Dre Greenlaw and Aaron Banks are probably likely to play? He said they're good to go, no limitations at all. They got a great practice in on Wednesday. So fantastic news there for the 49ers. They are as healthy as they've been all season. You mentioned Emmanuel Mosley, of course. They're, they're not going to have him. He's on you know season-ending IR. He, he's not coming back because of that ACL tear. Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, Trey Lance, as you mentioned as well. But the Niners still as healthy as they've been all season long. You can say similar for Seattle. They're getting healthy as well. But the 49ers, uh, they've, they haven't quite seen this roster, you know, at full strength. And I guess it's not total strength as, as we've talked about, but this is about as close as you can get. And I know not everyone's a hundred percent going into the playoffs. No one is, uh, but the Niner team has, has never been healthier than they are right now. And that's, that's fantastic news. Yeah, definitely. It, it appears that the 49ers health-wise would be peaking at the right time as much as they could. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Please download, rate, and subscribe three times a week. We're coming at you Monday, Wednesday, and of course on Friday, your preview episode with Mark Grandy and Evan Giddings as always. Okay, Mark, so one thing that appears to be imminently clear about this game is that there is going to be some inclement conditions. Yeah. And... Of course, things can change between now and Saturday, but just looking at the forecast, 100% rain on Saturday appears to be pretty damning as far as what is going to be coming the 49ers way. So my first question to you and, and to people out there would just be, who do you think it helps or hurts more, San Francisco or Seattle? The fact that we're probably going to be watching a bit of a sloshy field and a rainy day on Saturday. I I think you can go a couple of different directions on this um, because generally you think of rainy, wet conditions, sloppy games. It, it favors the the more physical team, the team that can run the ball. Well, the team that has a good run defense and the Niners are better than the Seahawks in all of those categories. But where else do the 49ers have the advantage? It is their athleticism and speed offensively. And what is slowed down in kind of those wet rainy conditions it's speed it is your athleticism it's your ability to get chunk plays the Niners are as good as any team in the NFL at that and Seattle isn't bad either with their weapons Kenneth Walker leads all rookies in scrimmage yards they have two really good wide receivers uh, as well in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf but the Niners have the best skill position unit in the entire NFL so I think it helps the 49ers in the sense that They already want to run the ball, and they're generally pretty good at it. However, I think it hurts their explosive offense, and I think as a result, maybe the net is a slight positive for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm not sure it's enough to to really, I don't know, equalize this game, so to speak, but I, I do think a really wet track might help Seattle a little bit more than it helps the 49ers, or at least it hurts Seattle less that it might hurt the 49ers. Yeah, I think it helps Seattle for a couple of reasons, and not just because of the obvious and them playing in the PNW and probably having facing more of these type situations, but because, one, in rainy games, scores are generally suppressed. So that means it is going to be a closer margin for error 
than the 49ers, I'm sure, would hope being the more dominant team. I mean, I don't want to look too much into week one at Chicago, but you saw what a couple of chunk plays could do to the 49ers defense and how that altered the story and the outcome of that game. I also believe that it sounds counterintuitive, but stick with me. When you play in the rain, the offense has an advantage. And if you have a quarterback that can throw in the rain, the wide receivers know where they're going. But it makes it very difficult for members of the secondary, linebackers, whoever has to cover, to figure out and how to switch, how to flip on a dime, as a lot of these 49ers defenders can do. So if you're talking about neutralizing speed, I think that hurts the 49ers. Because if you're looking at Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Marquise Goodwin's on IRs. I think it's going to be Kay Johnson that's going to be that third wideout for Seattle this upcoming weekend. But if they know where they need to go, and I think someone like DK Metcalf, who's a very physical receiver, is going to be able to create maybe not as much separation, but enough. And we've already seen the 49ers in their secondary give up some big plays. And again, if you're not scoring as much because you're not able to maybe throw the ball as effectively on your own side or as much as you would like, if Seattle is able to press up and key in on Christian McCaffrey, who had 30-plus touches in their last meeting, and they're trying to phase him out of the game as much as they can. I think that all of those factors combined create a more manageable situation for Seattle than San Francisco. I do not think that the Niners will lose this game, but I do think it creates maybe a more dangerous scenario, and you never want to be in that situation opposite a team that, number one, is familiar with you, Number two has already lost you twice. And number three has nothing to lose and has everything to win. So all of those combined, I think, is the reason why inclement conditions, 100% rain, shouldn't damn the 49ers, but is going to make this a much closer game than people expect. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Um, I also think, you know, we talked about how these kinds of wet games, rainy games, sloppy games tend to favor the teams that can run the ball well. Um, I would. I would probably venture to guess the Niners are, are the better running team. They have a, a great stable of running backs that they can turn to, and it keeps them fresh throughout the entire game. We saw that that stable of running backs finally healthy for the first time last week. Elijah Mitchell got into the end zone a couple of times as he kind of spelled Christian McCaffrey to get him ready for the postseason. Uh, but Seattle's rushing attack is no slouch either. Kenneth Walker has turned it on of late over 100 yards in each of his last three games. And Seattle is averaging 176 rushing yards as a team over the last three weeks. Over that span, second best in the NFL, behind only the Carolina Panthers, if you can believe it. But Seattle running the ball really well over the last three weeks. The Niners are right there with them. They've, they have the fifth most rushing yards per game over the last three weeks at 164. But Seattle is running the ball as good as they have all season long. So if this is a, a slob of a game, it's a it's a messy game, uh, the Seahawks are confident in their ability to run the ball. Now, the Niners do have a really good run defense, especially ever since Eric Armstead got back in the lineup. So we will see uh, what is the result of that. But Seattle's ability to run the ball, if it is extremely wet, I think will give them confidence that they can at the very least keep this close keep it a one-possession game, and and who knows what could happen in the fourth quarter. If it becomes a game that is purely based on who can run the best, I, I would say that that would favor the 49ers. I'm not assuming that the rain is going to prohibit both sides from passing the ball yeah. completely, which is why I think that Seattle, who in, in my opinion is, you know, quietly got a very good aerial attack, should be able to still throw through the rain. But Mark, since week 10, Seattle's DVOA, so defensive adjusted value over average against the rust, or against the rush, pardon me, <laughs> is dead last. They cannot stop the run, or they have not been able to stop the run the last essentially half of this season. So I don't think that this is going to be a game where maybe it's just Christian McCaffrey, Debo, Debo Samuel getting back in the fold. I think his over-under is around 40 yards. Elijah Mitchell, I'd be looking at his props as well. I do think it's going to be a running back by committee game for San Francisco and one that would ideally feature about 40 runs, especially if it's wet. But Seattle has not shown me, Mark, that recently they are able to stop a team that it commits to the run as much as a San Francisco club does. So 
I think that if it comes down to who can run the ball better, maybe Seattle has helped a bit by the rain. But I do think at, at the end of the day, it's going to be the Niners that are able to impose their will at the line of scrimmage. I think I agree. Um, I, I think this might be another Christian McCaffrey game for the 49ers. And he's coming in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. As you know, and as we've talked about, he uh, did not make the Pro Bowl roster. He was also left off the All-Pro roster as voted on by his peers, the players. And he was in the 49ers locker room this past week. It, it happened on Wednesday. And, and he was asked about being left off the Pro Bowl roster. And he said, I've always had a chip on my shoulder. This is a quote from McCaffrey. And I always will. I couldn't vote for myself. Otherwise, I would have. But it is what it is. It's not the goal that we want. Obviously, it would have been a nice nod of respect, but I didn't get it. I've just got to go harder, end quote from McCaffrey. And that's pulled from a story by Eric Branch from the San Francisco Chronicle. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying that McCaffrey, he would be more, he's more motivated for this game than he would be normally because it is a playoff game and it's only the second time he's ever been to the postseason. He made it with the Panthers when he was a rookie. Um, but I think Christian McCaffrey is is out to prove to people that he is the best running back in the NFL. He wants to do it on a big stage. And to your point, Evan, this is a Seattle team that cannot stop the run. And you remember about a month ago, the 15th of December, when the Niners went up to Seattle, when you so broadly said McCaffrey's getting at least 25 carries. He got 26 carries, 108 yards, had a touchdown, also caught the ball six times for 30 yards. He was the Niners' offense in a game that they kind of slugged out 21-13. to 13. They win that game behind Christian McCaffrey. He had a fantastic game. I think he's set up to have another great game this time around. I think uh, the weather... Not going to slow down Christian McCaffrey. Maybe it limits his catches out of the backfield. Maybe it increases the number of carries he takes and runs between the tackles. I think McCaffrey is going to have a fantastic game and will help lead this team to a win. See, I, I understand why you say that, but something tells me that Seattle, now whether they can execute it or not is the question, but they are not going to let Christian McCaffrey beat them. I don't... I yeah, good luck. No, that's that's true. That's fair. But I do not believe that Seattle is going to allow Christian McCaffrey to get the ball that amount of times. And one, because I think they're going to stack the box as every team has tried to do. It hasn't helped the last, you know, eight weeks for them. But I also think that Kyle Shanahan is smart enough now to know that with Elijah Mitchell back, with Debo Samuel back. Christian McCaffrey can be more of a decoy in this game to allow others in the offense to eat as opposed to the Thursday night game in week 15 in which Christian McCaffrey was kind of, in many cases, all by himself, had to use him. I also don't think that Christian McCaffrey, if we're being honest, is any more motivated. I know I know, you kind of prefaced your statement with that. I don't think he's any more motivated after, after not making the Pro Bowl. He's going to get in. Someone's going to get hurt or opt out because they don't want to play dodgeball, you know, the week before the Super Bowl. Christian McCaffrey will be named a Pro Bowler at some point. He's going to be named an All-Pro by the Associated Press, maybe not by his peers, but he's going to be named an All-Pro. He's one of the best running backs in football, bar none. He will get his just due. And I don't think, look, the, the guy who was asked a question, he's got to give an answer. What's he going to say? Well, you know, if I made the Pro Bowl, I don't know if I'd be running as hard. Or, you know, if I was named an All-Pro by my peers, maybe I, I think I'd take it a little bit easier and ask Kyle for five less carries this weekend against Seattle. No, he is going to be doing just as much damage as he would normally, even though I think it, it sounds good that he is, quote-unquote, more motivated or getting up for this game. Um, Maybe. Uh, did you hear what George Kittle said in the locker room on Wednesday? And this was unprompted. He he wasn't asked about it. He, mm -hmm. he was talking about Christian McCaffrey. And then I have the cut here for you. He was talking about McCaffrey and, and just how uh, I, th I think he was actually talking about the story of how he found out that McCaffrey was traded to the 49ers. And he just, again, without being asked about McCaffrey being left off the Pro Bowl roster, said this. I mean, I know he definitely has a little extra anger and um, passion. I mean, you know, I'm not going to 
say that he didn't he was lacking that at all but there's a little extra motivation behind that and I hope Christian plays the rest of the season pissed off because he's been pissed off the last four weeks and he, all he's done is dominate so George Kittle saying he's mm-hmm. been pissed off the last four weeks because of the the lack of respect he got on the pro bowl roster and he's saying he hopes he stays pissed off because that helps him play better I'm not saying that there's something here to it but I mean if, if George Kittle is saying that in the locker room I don't know it, it might mean something Evan it could. George Kittle, I also know, is someone that is not afraid to stand up for his teammates automatically and is one that um, unprompted is going to give credit and admiration to his teammates. I mean, he did it for Jimmy Garoppolo. He did it for uh, you know Christian McCaffrey when he got here. He's done it for Debo Samuel. He's done it in the past for a lot of his teammates. And I think that's just who George Kittle is, honestly. I, I Again, I hope Christian McCaffrey has a great game. I don't think that it would matter if he was named a pro bowler or not. That's my only point. Um, although, actually, before we before we break, Mark, I do have another bold prediction. Uh-oh. And it does involve George Kittle. So I'm glad you brought him up. Because one of my keys to this game is the 49ers being able to eviscerate the Seattle Seahawks zone defense. They play zone the second most of any team in the NFL. George Kittle dominates zone defenses far more than man-to-man. Against the zone this year, yards per route. 1.83 against the zone, yards per route versus man is 1.24. He is significantly better against those teams. I don't think it's a coincidence. The last time they they met a week 15, George Kittle had two touchdowns. I believe... That number one, George Kittle will catch at least six balls. He will have at least 80 yards, and he will have two touchdowns. That is what I believe will happen on Saturday for George Kittle. And he will have, at the end of this weekend, a total of 13 touchdowns this year, nine of which from Brock Purdy. Wow. I mean, if if that happens, Evan, there's no way the Niners lose. If George Kittle has that, <laughs> I mean, if he has that kind of game and he finds the end zone a couple of times, um, th- they won't lose this game. If they get that, uh, th- that'll put them over the top for sure. I, I'm not so sure I see that gigantic of a game for George Kittle. I, I think the, the weather is going to play a bit of a factor and it probably does hamper the team's ability to throw the ball. I also think this is a game. The Niners are probably playing from ahead for the most part. So maybe we only see, I don't know, 22 pass attempts for Brock Purdy, not an astronomical number. Um, but, but we'll see how this game does go. I, I do like the pick and I think it makes sense because George Kittle has been on such a tear recently with Brock Purdy. I mean, you mentioned his touchdown numbers, They've been incredible. I don't know if I see it in the cards here tonight, but I guess we'll just uh, in the cards right now as we look forward to to Saturday. I'm not so sure I see that quantity, uh, especially the quality of the touches coming in the end zone, but we'll see. And and I I do agree with the Niners get that. They're they're going to win this ballgame, but I guess we'll just see if the the Seahawks can limit Kittle a little bit. Because as you know, I mean, he dominated Seattle last time up in Seattle with two touchdowns. So, Maybe similar to McCaffrey, they're trying to take him away and make someone else beat them, but we'll see how the Seahawks try to defend them. Yeah, and San Francisco's got a lot of different ways to beat you, so we'll be sure to keep an eye on that. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned Brock Purdy. We obviously haven't talked a whole lot about the quarterback for San Francisco, that is, and I do believe that this will be a test. I know we spent a lot of time talking about him on our Wednesday episode as far as what he still needs to prove, his future. Feel free to go check that episode out wherever you download your, download your podcast, also up on YouTube. But, Mark, the one question that I, I think is going to be the most pertinent to this, maybe not this game specifically because it, it's supposed to be a little bit lopsided, but in the playoffs is you know, kind of which quarterback are you going to trust more? Mm in a tight game. And I think this is a perfect scenario for Brock Purdy. I kind of laid it out last time of, as far as, you know, going up against a Seattle team you're familiar with. You're also going up against another quarterback that has also not played in the postseason before in Geno Smith. But I was looking at some of Geno Smith's numbers down the stretch of games. He's been pretty damn good in the fourth quarter under two minutes, specifically when trailing. Meanwhile, we have not seen Brock Purdy in that type of situation before because he's been so good prior to. But 
if you had to choose one that you would trust in a tight game, who would it be? That's a really tough question. Um, because Geno Smith, he's he's kind of that he's that guy where you have to kind of forget everything you know about him and just think about what he's done this year because this season and the rest of his career are on complete opposite sides of the spectrum. I mean, he set a career high and franchise uh, record in attempts, completions, yards, and completion percentage this year. He didn't just have the best year of his career. He had the best year of any Seahawk quarterback ever. And I know they don't have the the longest, most illustrious history, but a, a potential Hall of Fame quarterback was just there as recently as last year in Russell Wilson. And, and Geno Smith... Whether or not the eye test tells you this, numerically, he had the best season in Seattle Seahawks history. That's worth something. And Brock Purdy is a rookie who we've seen just five and three quarter games from. Uh, So I say all that to give myself some time to think about it, but I don't really know what the answer is. I'm I'm honestly at a loss. It's a really good question. I, I I got one for you, Mark. Now, those stats that I was referring to from Geno Smith, I just want to make sure I was correct. Uh, When trailing with under four minutes to go, Geno Smith, 26 of 34. That's about a 76 completion percentage. 340 yards, four touchdowns, one pick, a 134.4 rating. That is Geno Smith in those situations. Some of which have been, you know, lopsided games. Obviously, that counts when you're down by 20 points, as he was in week two to the 49ers. And as Mark laid out earlier, he's played 100% of his team snaps. So it's not like he's missing time at the tail end of a blowout game. But Geno Smith has had more experience in those spots. Here's why I'm taking Brock Purdy, Mark. And it isn't necessarily just because of Brock Purdy. It's because of everything Brock Purdy has. I do not think that Brock Purdy is one to wilt under the pressure, which means all he has to do in a potential game-winning drive situation, which he did twice up in Las Vegas, is get the ball to his playmakers at the proper times and get the hell out of the way. (laughs) A dump off to McCaffrey here. A pass to a wide-open IU because that's the separation he creates. George Kittle, as we laid out against the zone, is a dominant tight end. Get the ball to him. Having multiple horses in the backfield that you can rely on. Now having Debo Samuel back in the fold, as well as a relatively healthy offensive line. Aaron Banks returning. You have a, a an overperforming, I think, offensive line from this season that's going to give you time. And when Brock Purdy has time, he has demonstrated he can dice up defenses. That's why I think Brock Purdy is the quarterback that I would trust more in crunch time. Not because of he's Joe Montana or he's Tom Brady or he's going to inevitably go win this game. It's because he has to do less in those situations than Geno Smith does. That's why I'm taking Brock Purdy and specifically the 49ers offense. I like it. Uh, I will say this. I, I stumbled across this stat earlier uh, this week and it it blew my mind. I figured I had to bring it up. It relates to Geno Smith. Uh, Evan, there are four quarterbacks in the NFL this year to throw for 4,000 yards and 30 uh, touchdowns this season. One of them is Geno Smith. Do you have any idea who the other three are? Wait, sorry, what was the criteria? 4,000 or more yards and 30 or more touchdowns this season. Four quarterbacks have done it. Geno Smith is one of them. Patrick Mahomes. Correct. Joe Burrow. Correct. Josh Allen. Correct. And Geno Smith Smith is in a category with three of the best four quarterbacks in the NFL, five at worst. I mean, that is remarkable. He not only is having a good season for Geno Smith standards, he is having an elite season. It's hard to make sense of because it goes against everything you previously thought about Geno Smith, which, which is what makes... This question is so difficult for me because you have to get rid of all your preconceived notions about Geno Smith, about what you thought the Seattle Seahawks were going into this year, because they are not that. Geno Smith is not that old guy, and the Seattle Seahawks are not the team that we thought was going to be lucky to get to six wins this season. Both are way better than expected, which I understand your point, and I think ultimately I might agree because of the supporting cast. But still, Geno Smith deserves credit because he has had not just a good season, but a great season. He has had a great season. But the other thing we do have, 
and we'll get to some playoff picture postseason picks in just a second. But I do want to mention this, Mark. We have a sample size of Geno Smith against the 49ers. Hmm. And that was another key that I wrote down, slowing down Geno Smith, as, as crazy as that might have sounded before this year, because of those numbers that you just mentioned, the company that he's in. In two games against the San Francisco 49ers, he has thrown for one touchdown. He has also turned the ball over once. He has been sacked five times and has a QBR below 90. So I think that Geno Smith, although has those numbers in totality and has put together a phenomenal regular season, that we're talking about Pro Bowls and non-snubs, Geno Smith's head of the Pro Bowl. (laughs) But against the 49ers, he has been a different quarterback and understandably so because of that defense. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think, obviously, he's got a more uphill task than Brock Purdy, so to speak. Yeah, not only are are his weapons not as good, your your first part of that answer, talking about how good the Niners' weapons are, but then the flip side is you're talking about is he has to go against the better defense. And the Niners are not just a good defense, but the best defense in the NFL. So kind of twofold there. Again, I, I think I probably end up agreeing with you, but credit to the question because I, I could definitely see both sides and I am on the fence in that regard. So uh good, good question. It's a tough one. I guess, you know, ultimately we'll see come Saturday around four o'clock. If, uh, if it comes down to a final drive, you know, who, what quarterback can do it? I guess we'll find out. Niner fans certainly hope it doesn't come down to that because they want to yeah. be up by two scores late in the game. Uh, but if it does, we'll see which quarterback can, can figure it out in the rain in a tight game. It should be fun. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, we'll remind everyone, you are listening to the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Please download, rate, subscribe. Five stars appreciated. Mark's on social at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C. Grandy with an I. I'm on social at egiddings 10415ers across all social media platforms. Okay, Mark, I know we have a few minutes left here, but I do want to get a couple of other picks from around the rest of the league in. I don't necessarily want to go down the entire path because that's inevitably going to change. Someone's going to get upset. Stuff is going to happen. But I do want to pick these games from the entire weekend, both NFC and AFC, finish with the 49ers. And then if you want to, we can just kind of throw out who we think is going to be in the final four and who's going to win the Super Bowl. Is that all right? Gotcha. Yeah, sounds good. Where do we want to start in the AFC? Uh, let's just go down the list. So after the 49ers play on Saturday, the chargers and the Jaguars play that's at five 15 local time in Jacksonville chargers on the road, slightly favored. I believe, man, we are starting with the hardest one of the whole weekend. I do Mm -hmm. not know how to pick this game. Uh, there's a reason why it's, I think essentially a pick them. Jacksonville's at home because they won their division. I think ultimately I will side uh, on the team with the better quarterback, and that is the Los Angeles Chargers. I think Justin Herbert gets his first career playoff win in his first career playoff game. I think they knock off Jacksonville. I am slightly biased in this pick. I grew up liking the San Diego Chargers, Mm -hmm. now of Los Angeles, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I will say this. Even though Justin Herbert, I believe, is the better quarterback currently, Trevor Lawrence has absolutely played better football the last half of this season. So it's a bit of a toss up there. I'm going to take the chargers just because I think that they have a little bit more than Jacksonville, even though the Jags have been playing better football. Also, they better not lose. Okay. (laughs) And then moving on to Sunday, Mark, the first game is going to be Miami at Buffalo. It'll be Skylar Thompson, the third string quarterback for the dolphins against Josh Allen. Who you got? Yeah, Skylar Thompson actually is the second-to-last quarterback drafted in the 2022 NFL Draft. Brock Purdy, the last one drafted. These are the two lowest-drafted quarterbacks to ever start an NFL playoff game, so that's fun. This is an easy pick, though. Buffalo wins uh, over Miami by double digits. Yeah, I'm with you there. Buffalo's going to wipe the floor with the Finns. Sorry, Mike McDaniel, your first season comes to a skidding (laughs) halt. All right, then the 130 game on Sunday is going to be Minnesota in Minnesota, hosting the New York Giants. This is an interesting one, Mark. I feel like I know who you're going to take in this game, and I don't think it's going to have a quarterback with the name Kirk Cousins. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I have been ragging on the Vikings a lot. Most of, it most of it isn't because I think they're a bad football team. They are just not as good as their record shows. I still think they're better than the Giants. And they're at home. Uh, this might be a boring pick, but I think the Vikings find a way to sneak out a, a win in the last seconds again. God, I'll pick stink. the Vikings. All right, I'll take the New York Giants. 
I will take the New York Giants because I believe they have the head coach of the year in Brian Dable. I believe that they have a dual-threat quarterback in Daniel Jones who's been playing his best football of his career so far this year, and Saquon Barkley, who's an absolute horse against that Minnesota front that has been weak, bending, and breaking in recent weeks. <laughs> and I think that Minnesota, despite being the come cap, comeback kids, lose their first single-score game wow. of the season, and it's in the playoffs. I like it. Okay. I- I mean, if that happens, the Niners are going to get the winner. Assuming the Niners win, they get the winner of Tampa Bay and Dallas because the six-seeded Giants would immediately head to Philadelphia. We'll we'll get there in a sec. Final game, Sunday night game. It is going to be in Cincinnati. The Bengals hosting the Baltimore Ravens in AFC North showdown. We're talking about rivalries. Well, Seattle, San Francisco, three times. Same for Baltimore, Cincinnati. Who you got? Uh, obviously a lot can change if something changes on Lamar Jackson's status, but it looks like he's not going to play. And if that's the case, it's a win for Cincinnati. Yeah, I do think this game's going to be weirdly close. That's just how Cincinnati is involved in games, especially come yeah. postseason time. And they never seem to be able to protect Joe Burrow. So <laughs> I feel like Burrow's going to have to pull a rabbit out of a hat randomly, and it's going to be a low-scoring, disgusting football game in Cincinnati that the Bengals do win. Yeah, bet the under in that game would be yes. my suggestion. 100%. Unless, of course, Lamar Jackson plays. But even then, it might be still a little bit wonky. All right, final game of the weekend, Mark, until we get to San Francisco and Seattle. Monday night, 515, mm. Tampa Bay, the GOAT. Tom Brady hosting the GOAT in Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys heading on the road where they are one in four on grass fields, Mark, who you got between the bucks. And wow. The How about that stat? A deep mm-hmm. pull from Evan Giddings one in four on grass. Yeah. That was uh, actually from all... Jason Garrett on Sunday night last week. Oh, okay. Hey, He's well, very you, familiar you... with Dallas. True. You made note of it though. You wrote that down to, to whip it out here on our preview episode. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is kind of the opposite of the Geno Smith discussion. I was talking about how you have to forget everything that Geno Smith had done in the past. Yeah. It's the opposite here because you are only remembering the greatness of Tom Brady, and it's easy to forget how terrible the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have looked all season. I am choosing to remember how bad they've looked all season long. And uh, as much as it upsets me to say, I do think the Cowboys pick up a win on the road. I think Dak Prescott plays just good enough to win, doesn't make a fatal mistake that costs his team a win in the postseason. I think uh, the Cowboys pick up a road win. I'm with you, Mark. I also think that, and if we're talking about remembering things, I've remembered the last few quarterbacks that Tom Brady has lost to. They wouldn't be the names that you'd necessarily think of. Last year, yes, Matthew Stafford, although they did almost come back in that game. That was a wild one. They should have. The quarterback before that, I believe, was Ryan Tannehill. Yes. When Tom Brady was was in New England. Before that was Nick Foles, was it not? Was Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. (laughs) So none of those are necessarily world beaters. (laughs) And if you're worried about Dak Prescott not being a good quarterback, don't worry. He has company with the other quarterbacks that Tom Brady has lost to. Give me the Dallas Cowboys. I think they return the form and they buck the trend of the one and four on grass field. They get the win on the road at Tampa. That's my pick. I like it. I think I'm with you. So we're, we're what in lockstep of four of the first five. I don't know if I like that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't been counting track, but I also think we're in lockstep about this next pick too, because we come back to the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks two versus seven Saturday opening kickoff of super wild card weekend, one thirty, Levi stadium, 13 and four versus nine and eight, the overachievers galore. Who you got? I got the San Francisco 49ers coming out on top here, and I will give you my score prediction as well. 27 to 17 is the final score. I have the uh, the the key to end all keys here for the 49ers. This year, the Niners, 13 and 0 when committing one or zero turnovers. 0 and 4 when committing two or more. Again, the 49ers this season, 13 and 0 when committing just one or zero turnovers and O and four when committing multiple turnovers. I think Brock Purdy gives the ball away once at the most. As a result, that trend continues. The Niners win 27 to 17. If you got the nine and a half points, they cover just barely and the over hits on a, 
on a fourth quarter field goal towards the end of the game that left you sweating. But the Niners win on the overheads. I am with you, but let me say, I certainly hope that rain does not create any slippery hands like the ones we saw at Chicago in week one. I'm looking at you, Debo Samuel. I'm also looking at potentially Brock Purdy to commit a turnover in this game, as I think he'll have some initial postseason jitters and should have had one last time they played Seattle, but somebody couldn't catch football. So we shall see how many turnovers the 49ers have, but I am with you, Mark. They win this game. I think they win it in a relatively close fashion. I think it honestly looks a lot like week 15 did, which is you look up at the final score, you see an eight point deficit and you see, wow, that game was closer than it should have been. But in reality, there was not really any, you know, sort of hesitation on my side as far as who was going to win that game. I felt like San Francisco dominated the full 60 minutes. I am going to take San Francisco over Seattle to advance to the divisional round. And the final score is going to be, I don't want to say 21, 13, 24 to 16. I think that's going to be the final score just under the 42 total. And San Francisco does not cover. Interesting. Okay. I like it. Both of us have Niners winning, but that one's uh, a little closer there. Uh, Before we do get out, I do have a a quick trivia question. If our predictions are correct and the Mm. Niners win this game, Brock Purdy as a rookie will win uh, a postseason game. Who was the last rookie in the NFL quarterback, the last rookie quarterback in the NFL to win a postseason game, Evan? I will give you a hint. It happened. Russell Wilson? That's right. You don't even need a hint. Yeah. Happened in 2012. Russell Wilson, the last rookie quarterback to win a postseason game. It has been 11 years since it happened, and Brock yep. Purdy has a chance to add his name to that pretty short list coming up on Saturday afternoon. Only reason I remember that is because Russell Wilson then ran into the Atlanta Falcons, who then ran into the San Francisco 49ers, who then ran into the Baltimore Ravens, who made me a lot of money that year. So (laughs) I am with you, Mark. Uh, Brock Purdy has a chance to etch his name into history, and we will be here to cover it all in the four and fivers. So looking forward to it. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Can't get here quick enough. And then uh, looking forward to hopping back on the four and fivers with you after that. Yeah, TBD on when that episode is going to be released, but we're trying to get it out as quickly as possible, if not Saturday night, hopefully on Sunday. Either way, a lot of NFL football, postseason football coming your way, and we hope that San Francisco is a part of it. I know we didn't get to our title picks and Super Bowl picks. We'll save that for, I believe, let's let's do next Wednesday, Mark, after we have a full weekend of football to kind of judge. Hopefully the 49ers will be moving on, but either way, we will be coming at you live soon thereafter this weekend and uh yeah should be should be a fun time so thanks everyone for listening to this edition of the 415ers podcast we'll talk to you next time